In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when was the last time that you had a truly eye-opening experience? Can you remember the last time? You know, one, one of those times in your life where your eyes were opened to a whole world that was before you that maybe you weren't even aware of before, or an experience in your life that completely changed your outlook and perspective on the way things work. Can you remember the last time you had an eye-opening experience? It seems to me as though there are two kinds of experiences like that. There are the good and then the not-so-good. I've had some good eye-opening experiences. I, I think of a, a trip that I took with my family, a family vacation, uh, probably over 10 years ago now, uh, out to California. We spent some time in the San Francisco area. Uh, and, and up to that point in my life, my uh, early 20s, I had never been one to eat seafood. Uh, fish just didn't appeal to me. In fact, when someone ordered it next to me at the restaurant, I would kind of hold my nose and, and think, oh, this is not what I wanted. Um, didn't really care for it. But then, well, there we were, family vacation in San Francisco, and my parents took us to this nice restaurant by the side of the ocean, and everyone else was ordering it. And to be honest, I just didn't want to be left out. That was the main reason. But also, I thought, if I'm ever going to give this a chance, uh, it's going to be here, right? A nice restaurant, steps away from the ocean, fish caught that day. And so I did. I, I gave uh, some seafood a chance, and my eyes were opened, and my world was changed. And now I love seafood. I, I, I order it all the time. Um, but there are also the other kinds of eye-opening experiences, the, the negative ones, the, the kind that open our eyes to a world that maybe we didn't want to see. Uh, I can remember being in maybe second or third grade when uh, one of my fellow students, one of my fellow classmates, uh, saw one of the teachers in our school smoking a cigarette. Whoa, that rocked our world. We thought to ourselves, didn't this teacher, didn't he see Officer Friendly when he came from the police station who gave us the lecture on all the dangers of cigarette smoking and how it sets you on a path to drug use and prison and, and how dangerous this was? And we just couldn't believe it. A teacher smoking a cigarette. Oh my goodness, our worlds were changed and our eyes were opened. Uh, maybe you've had a somewhat more serious uh, eye-opening experience than that. But we have them all the time. I think we have eye-opening experiences even when it comes to church, don't we? Because maybe you can remember the first time uh, when you found out that the pastor didn't sleep in the church building, right? His bed wasn't the pew and your eyes were opened. Or that the pastor had a closet full of regular people clothes like jeans and t-shirts when he wasn't wearing the robe and, and you just couldn't believe that. Uh, or maybe more seriously for you, uh, you didn't grow up in the church. Or maybe you walked away from the church for a little while. And, and in your mind, the church was full of these hypocritical, judgmental, uh, small-minded people. But, but for some reason, a friend invited you back or you came for the first time. And, and pretty soon, you found yourself coming back week after week to be with God's people. And you experienced the encouragement and the love and the strength that, that can be found in living life with brothers and sisters in the faith. And pretty soon your eyes were opened and you thought to yourself, uh, how did I ever live without this, right? How did I make it all these years not being a part of God's family? Or maybe alternatively, maybe, maybe you did grow up in the church. And for you, the church was this amazing, safe, beautiful place. It was a place where, where things were good and right and true. And, and you knew that there was bad in the world. You knew that there was evil, but that was out there, right? And, and you didn't have to deal with that in here. In the church, amongst God's people, that was a life free from sin, where everything was good. But then maybe your eyes were opened. Maybe one day you came to church and you started to look around at the people in the pew 
around you and you thought to yourself, you know what, these people are sinners just like me. (laughs) And they deal with the same stuff I'm dealing with. And it's not as though we have smiles on our faces all of the time. We still hurt and and there's still pain. And and maybe you didn't need to turn on the TV to hear about some of these systemic cases of abuse within the church or embezzlement by church leaders because maybe you had experienced a sin within the church yourself. And, and maybe your eyes were open to see, yeah, the, the church isn't a place that is magically protected from, from sin and hurt and pain, and in some cases, even evil. Sometimes it's found within us, within the church. And maybe that was hard for you to grapple with. Maybe that was a struggle for you. How can this happen in God's church among his people? God's people have struggled with that reality for a really long time, and and as God's people throughout the centuries have grappled with this question, we've, we've often asked ourselves as God's people two important questions. Uh, first, when we look at the sin and the hurt and the pain and maybe even the evil that happens within the family of God, we ask ourselves first, how can this be? Right? How, how could this happen? How could God let sin happen here? Right? Aren't we supposed to be happy and peaceful and loving all of the time? How can this be? Is it something that we did wrong? Does God not love us anymore? Does he not care about us? Or does he love us, but he's just not able to do anything about it? How can this be? How can there be sin even within the church amongst God's people? The second question we then ask ourselves is, what do we do? Right? We know that sin happens. We know there's hurt and pain. So what are we going to do about it? Lord, what's the plan of attack? Give us a job to do. Uh, we want to rid ourselves of sin and hurt and pain. So, so what do we do now? Right? There, there's got to be a solution. Lord, just tell us what to do. Throughout uh, Christian history, the church has answered these two questions in, in many different ways. And these two questions are actually posed to us and, I believe, answered for us in our gospel reading for today, that parable or that story of the weeds. Uh, I'd like to read just a few of those verses again for you. I won't read it all again. You already heard it. Um, But if you'd like to follow along, it's found on page 9 in your bulletin. Listen for these two questions. How can this be? How can there be evil and hurt and pain and sin even within the church? And what do we do about it? So again, this is Matthew 13. Jesus, speaking to his parables, speaking to his disciples, says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds appeared also. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? There's that first question, right? How can this be? How can there be weeds in this field? What happened? Why is it like this? There's that first question. Uh, But the story continues. Uh, The master replies and says, An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and and pull them up? What do we do now? Do you want us to rip out the weeds? Do you want us to rid ourselves of evil? What's the plan here, Lord? What are we going to do about this? We have to do something. Um, Now again, the the church has tried to answer these two questions in a lot of different ways. And and honestly, uh, the church has gotten the answer to these questions wrong more often than not, maybe. Uh, Sometimes the church has answered the first question, how can this be, by saying things like, well, um, maybe God doesn't really love us as much as he says he does, or maybe he does love us, but he just can't do anything about it. 
you know, there's so many of us here on earth and there's only one God and it must be hard for him to, to watch over all of us all of the time. This is a, a big job. And then the second question, what do we do about it? The, the church has gotten that wrong uh, sometimes too. Uh, sometimes the church's answer to that question has been to isolate itself, to separate itself, to build up walls and, and lock the doors, right? I think about the, the Puritans, those early settlers to America, who were fleeing persecution, but also trying to create a a colony of pure Christians, right? Where there would be no more sin. Just keep it out. We can do this. Just try harder if we isolate and separate. But other times, the answer to that second question has been in the face of evil to kill the evil, right? Think about all of the heretics that were burned at the stake throughout the years. Think about the the Salem witch trials, right? Where, Where the answer to evil was to put it to death. There Or think about uh, the Crusades where the church together with the government tried to obliterate evil from the face of the earth. The church has has answered these two questions sometimes in some extreme and violent and over-the-top and maybe even downright sinful ways. Uh, And I think the temptation for us today is to continue to answer these questions wrong or to take matters into our own hands. And And so instead, I would propose that we turn to God's word to hear what he says about why there's evil in this world, even amongst the church, and what are we going to do about it. Uh, The parable, I think, gives us our answers. The first question, why? Why is there evil? How can this be? Listen to what Jesus says. Again, the servants uh, come to him and say, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the seeds come from? An enemy did this. The master replies. See, Jesus makes it clear that the, the root of all evil is Satan, is the devil. He, he goes on to talk about that later as he explains the parable. Now, now the devil is not some, someone, something that we talk about very often, right? It's, it's usually pictured as this cartoon character on your shoulder with two, uh, two horns and a pitchfork and a red face. Uh, we don't think much about Satan or the devil, but Jesus makes it clear Satan is real and his attacks are real. And he lets us know about this, I think, not to scare us and leave us kind of shivering in our boots, but to prepare us to say, there is this whole world before you. Open your eyes to it where Satan is on the attack. And when Satan attacks, turn to Jesus. Uh, But he wants us to know. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to have our eyes opened uh, that Satan is out there doing his work. And that's why there's evil even within the church. Uh, But then the second question, what are we to do about it? And maybe this is the question we think about more often, maybe not. What are we going to do about the evil around us, the sin amongst us? This is what Jesus says. Uh, The servants come to the master in the story, and the servants ask the master, do you want us to go and pull them up to rip out the evil? No, the master answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You see, Jesus uh, tells us that the answer to all this is to wait. In the face of sin and hurt and pain and even evil in the church, God's answer is frustratingly simple, I think, to us. His answer is wait. (laughs) Don't go rooting out evil when you see it. Don't go killing it or putting it to death. Just wait. 
And, and this can be hard for us for a number of reasons, but I, I think it's important. God says, wait, uh, most importantly because He is judge. Uh, you and I are not the judges and juries of evil, as, as much as we would like to think so. Uh, we are not the judge. God is the judge. God is in control. And so he tells us to wait, that he's got it. He'll give out justice where justice needs to be given. He'll dole out punishment should punishment need to be given. In the face of all this, we don't take matters into our own hands. We, we wait patiently because God is judge. But we also wait patiently because God is gracious. We heard it there in the reading. He says, don't pull out the weeds. Don't uproot the evil now because you might uproot the wheat with them. Just wait because God is a gracious God and he is in the business of turning weeds into wheat, of turning hearts and repentance from sin and evil to his glorious light. Wait because God loves all people and longs for all to come to know him and to be saved. So wait because we have a gracious and loving God. Wait is his answer. Now, here's what we need to remember as we are waiting, that we do not have a God that loves or deals with abstractions or ideas. We have a God who loves and and deals with people, right? And and so we are called to wait patiently with people as we are hurt, maybe even within the church, as we see sin around us and, and the people around us, we are called to wait patiently, to leave judgment up to God and to deal with the people around us in grace. I grew up uh, in a family with two brothers. I am the middle child, uh, so make all of your own assumptions about middle children, and it's probably true. Now, if you grew up with siblings, maybe this was the case for you, maybe not, uh, but I know that for me, uh, there were times when I was frustrated at my brothers or angry at them or they had done something to me uh, that I knew that my best way at getting back at them was to catch them when they were doing something wrong. And so I'd kind of wait in the shadows, off to the side, uh, not saying very much, letting them play or do their own things, just waiting to catch them in some sin, right, some some mistake. And then, of course, what I would do is I would catch them, and then I would go to mom and dad, right, and say, Mom, do you know what Matt was doing? Do you know what Paul was doing? You should have seen it. I'm, I'm just trying to help. I just want to rid this house of sin I'm just trying to be the best big brother or little brother I can be. Uh, But mom and dad, you know you're going to punish them, right? So what what is it going to be? Let's let's see what you got. Most of the time, you know what my mom and dad would do? They kind of shrug their shoulders, say thanks for letting me know, or go back and play. Be nice to your brother. And then, of course, I'm thinking, uh, wait a second here, right? How long are they going to be grounded for? Do you want me to go get them so you can yell at them? I think they need a spanking, actually. They were really, really bad. And my mom would shrug her shoulders, say, thanks for telling me. Now go back and play. You see, I, I, would, I was always missing out on, on two important realities. Uh, first, I was forgetting that I was not the judge. I was not the jury. I did not know best. I thought I did, but I didn't. Mom was the judge, or dad was the judge. They were the one that was in control. It was their punishment to give if there was any to give, not mine. I had put myself in a position that I wasn't ready for. And then the second reality that I would be missing out on was, was the graciousness of my parents and how I had so often been the recipient of that grace. 
What, what I wasn't seeing, what I wasn't realizing was all the times that, that my brothers, Matt or Paul, were going to mom and dad and saying, hey mom, hey dad, did you see what Peter did? And you know what my mom would do? Or my dad would do? Shrug their shoulders. Say, thanks for letting me know. Now go back and play with your brother. See, sometimes we forget that in the face of hurt and pain and, and suffering and, and evil, we forget about the graciousness of God that has been applied to me and been applied to you. And in our haste to, to execute the justice of God, we forget that we have a gracious God who loves all people, who wants to turn weeds into wheat. And so he tells us today, simply wait. Now, this doesn't mean as God's people that we don't call out sin for what it is when we see it um, or that we just avoid talking about sin because it's all up to God. No, I, I think we do. In, in the family of God, I think it is good and right for us when we see a brother or sister sinning and walking away from God to say, hey, wait a second there. You're kind of getting off track and I, I love you as a brother or sister in Christ, so come back. How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I support you? How can we do this together? I've, I've been there where you've been and I, I know the temptations are hard and I've given in just like you. So, so let's get back on track together. This is what it looks like to, to not live in abstractions but to live amongst people as, as God's people to say, let's, let's do this together. Let's call sin what it is and get back on track. But at the same time, to leave that eternal judgment up to Jesus to not take matters into our own hands, not to not think that we can rid ourselves and become pure of sin and evil. As long as we're in this world, those things are real. And they're a part of the Christian life. But ultimately, to trust in our gracious God who loves us with an unending, amazing love, who at the end, for those of us who have had to wait and wait and wait and suffer and question and struggle through this sinful world, who receive this amazing promise of God. At the very end of our reading, Jesus has told the parable and explained the parable. At the very end, Jesus says this. He says, then, at the end, when all the waiting is done, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is promising us that as we struggle through the darkness of this world, as we deal with sin and, and suffering, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and the light comes from Jesus and you and I who have waited for all of these years will be so close to Jesus and so filled up with his light of love and grace and truth that we will radiate that light back out. We will shine like the sun in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we, we wait patiently for Christ to judge. And we rejoice in our God's patient grace. In his name, amen.